Treasure Valley Dermatology is who our family trusts with our skincare needs, and we're excited to announce that they are moving into their brand new state-of-the-art building at 2535 East Fairview Avenue in Meridian to complement their other locations in Boise near the St. Al's Hospital and Caldwell by the West Valley Hospital. They offer a full complement of dermatology services including skin checks, care for eczema, psoriasis, warts, hair loss, skin cancer treatment, and cosmetic services like Botox, chemical peels, laser treatments, and medical-grade skincare for men and women. Treasure Valley Dermatology always has a policy that patients can see a physician at every visit if they choose, and they have both male and female physicians to keep you comfortable while supporting the health of your skin. Schedule your appointment by calling 208-SKIN-DOC or visit DermatologyBoise.com. If you're looking for some direction regarding investing, real estate, and financial surrounding mortgages, you need to be following Bryce Gonzer. Bryce is the vice president and owner of Fulcrum Home Loans. He hosts classes and creates social media content regarding wealth in real estate, deciphering current economic trends, and leveraging risk for retirement. He also hosts private consulting for Bitcom Investing. If you have questions or if you're ready to find the home loan that is best for you, reach out to Bryce underscore Gonzer on Instagram or find him at Fulcrum Home Loans. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Welcome back to the conversation. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm Shane Plummer. Around the onset of every new year, Natalie and I talk about the year in review and our plans looking forward. In this episode, I take the wheel and lay out my lofty plans for 2024. It feels a little awkward to talk so much about myself and my personal goals, but I don't let that stop me. The exercise of sharing my goals with my partner becomes a vehicle for talking about a list of important topics, such as healthy habits, shared household responsibilities, spousal support, equal ownership of romance, mental health, liberation and relinquishing control, the value of individual and couples therapy, healthy masculinity, intentional time with kids, acceptance of and planning for death, it's not as morbid as it sounds, and taking control of our quality of life in 2024. Yeah, we hit a lot of topics. More than anything, I hope that my energy for the new year and how I go about setting and achieving goals inspires you to move to action to take control of this year with hope and confidence, even if a nerdy spreadsheet may not be the tool that would work for you. You can do great things, and we're here to help you with our ramblings. Happy New Year. We did a podcast episode back in quarter three, and we were talking about some of our struggles. We committed to do some follow-up, and just because we were having a very hard time, and what are we going to do to make it better this year? And I came out of the holidays just itching to do something different and to feel better. I've been really uh, gearing myself up psychologically for the new year and doing something, using it for an opportunity to make some resolutions and some goals. Yeah. So quarter three, we did a podcast called, what was it? Something on fumes? Something about fumes. Yeah. I think we were just at our mental capacity and we're like, okay, we got to figure it out. Well, basically that we were struggling to support each other because we were both in a little bit of crisis, but then we also had some things happen, obviously, in the quarter that kind of changed the game a little bit, because then I went into surgery very unexpectedly. Anyway, before we go into what we're going to do for the year... Sorry, I'm a little confused. What does that have to do with anything? Well, that things got worse before they got better, I oh. guess I would say. But I, I think we had said that in the podcast, we would talk about how some of our goals for quarter three, how that turned out. We talked about some of our goals for ourselves, um, how we were going to go on more walks, and and anyway, do you want to do a summary at all about how quarter three or how quarter four went? Oh, it's funny. I just don't even think that I did much of anything. I think that we were good at taking walks. That was good. But then it just started getting dark so early, and I don't know. I just feel like I just uh, was hanging on by my, by my fingernails getting through the end of the year. But now I'm committed to action and uh, intentionality as I go into this next few months. Okay, so that's kind of what you're seeing for this episode is like, let's let's move instead of going back. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to think about the past. I just want to think about the future. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I'll just say, I think we handled it well, even though we were feeling pretty low in general. I thought we got through the holidays. I think we did We did okay. Yeah, I think that we did great. And honestly, nobody wants to hear us complain. But people do <laughs> like to hear about a resolution. I'm, I'm honestly full of energy. I went into the office this last week and just talking to people about, hey, how do you feel? It's a new year. And every time they asked me, I said, I am so energetic. I feel great. One of the first things that I did this past week is I sat down and I cracked out my old nerdy goal spreadsheet for the year and where I track all my goals in the different areas of my life. And I filled it out and it was so energizing. I did this exercise I was looking at it. My first file was back in 2020. It's crazy. I had no, no idea at the time what 2020 was going to become, but um, I got so much stuff done that year. Like I look back at what I accomplished accomplished just by writing it down. It was an amazing year. And I think I did it the next year, but I've just kind of consistently gotten a little bit more lax. But this year I cracked it open again. And just the action of writing it down, thinking about what I wanted to focus on and making like a mini plan for each one, it was awesome. I feel great. Did you do a little vision board like you did the last time? I did, but I haven't turned it into like a, a an actual vision board. Yeah, you're really into that. It was like I love it, interesting and yeah, yeah. But I don't know how. I don't know. I gotta outsource that. Maybe somebody can help me get it onto a, an iPhone screen. Uh, I I can do that. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of oh what, really great. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if you I'll need send you someone the photos. to make phone content, I could probably yeah. do that. All right. So what I wanted to do, just for accountability with you as my partner, and we're talking about supporting each other, how do we support each other coming into this next year, I thought that I'd share with you my goals and kind of what I'm focused on. That's true. And it's it's it was interesting because we kept on stopping the conversations that were naturally happening between the two of us. And we're like, let's wait, because we, we keep on like talking about the things we want to talk on the podcast, and then we don't talk about the podcast because we've already had the good conversation. So I haven't heard any of your goals. Yeah, this, uh, this, the, is, so this, this is, is new. All right, are you ready? I am so excited to hear about your goals. And then I'd love to hear about yours and how I can support you this year. Oh, yeah. Some assumptions. I think <laughs> you've I know. made some assumptions about me this year. <laughs> I'm sure that you've written them all down, right? You've you've I've already got written your plans. down every one that I have okay. for sure. All right, well then I'm I'm excited to hear them. <laughs> okay, let's hear. You. My theme this year is healthy habits. I want to achieve personal peace, create opportunities, and make a positive outward influence by establishing and maintaining healthy habits. Wow! So you have like this is like a I have mission. a theme, then I have a description, and then I have the the different areas of my life okay. that are important to me. And so the different areas are fitness, mental health, relationships, professional, father, being a father, mm -hmm. uh, personal, and then financial. Oh, wow. Okay. So we oh, let's go. Because that's kind of how I break down my goals is what yeah. are the different areas of my life that feel important, that feel like I need some kind of attention and focus. And mm -hmm. then I get specific in those areas. All right. All right, let's hear it. Fitness. I'm going to get and stay mountain fit. Mountain fit? Mountain fit. I I, I was lazy this last year. I didn't get up into, into the mountains as often as I wanted to, and I felt emotionally and psychologically and physically like I felt the lack of not going there. To be fair, you weren't lazy, though. You just had situations that didn't allow you to get into the mountains. Yeah, I had to choose to spend my time elsewhere. But I feel it, and I feel this longing. And this longing is what's going to get me into the garage and into the gym and doing something on a consistent basis. So, do you have like goals of what that is? Like, have you put that down or is oh, it Oh, well, yes, I do. In <laughs> fact, let me, let me look at my spreadsheet and uh, <laughs> go, to my, go to my fitness tab. All right, this is, th this is how I break I've it up. I've literally never made a spreadsheet in my life and you have it on your phone. All right, so get and stay mountain fit. This is how I make it a, a smart goal. And I'm a proponent of, of, of what's smart What's a smart goals. goal? It's got to be specific, measurable, achievable, <laughs> realistic, and timely. Why are you laughing? Everybody in the world knows what a smart goal is. No, they don't. Did you? I what? Which book did you get that one from? I don't know. A million. Okay, Pick I've one, read most of the books. Close your eyes and throw a rock in a library, and you'll hit a book that talks about smart goals. <laughs> um, well, I've read most of the books that you've read, so I was anyway. just wondering. Okay, so your smart goals sound super cool. Okay. Enneagram one. So this is how I break down my smart goal. Easily carry 50 pounds, five miles, out and back, on an outdoor activity by May 12th. And again, monthly through October. So by May 12th, 
50 pounds on my back going in and out five miles has got to feel easily manageable. Why'd you pick May 12th? Um, I picked May 12th because that's when I see things thawing out up in the mountains where I can actually get up and maybe take my first deep mountain trip. Is it also because it couldn't be May 11th? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Maybe I should have <laughs> thought about that. That's our anniversary. Yeah. Anyway, that's one. The other part of my fitness goal, people are going to get bored listening to my goals, but too late. If you're bored, turn the podcast off, I guess. Create a family. We're in a no Fs mood (laughs) tonight for sure. My second goal, and I only have two max three goals per area of focus. So my second one. Less smart. Yeah, like, uh, well, I just didn't want to take on too much. I mean, already I got seven areas and two things each. That's a lot to focus on, mm-hmm. but but that's okay. Okay, so what am I doing for that first one? So for the first one, I break it out into steps, so um, and then I put like a um, a note of which month of the year I want to have each of these steps done by, like milestones. Okay. Okay. I need to establish a simple workout program, something that I can do in the garage that doesn't take a ton of effort to wrap my mind around. Plan regular outdoor activities. So something that uh, each month I want to focus on doing something outside. Even if it's just hiking up and down Table Rock on a Saturday or a Sunday, I'm going to do something outside every month. And then I've got some other just uh, best practices like limiting sugar and limiting alcohol and having a healthy sleep routine. All right. All right. Second thing is I want to create a family meal strategy. With you and your surgery and me with my goals – and are generally just wanting to be good parents for our kids, I want to really systematize and simplify our menu strategy where we just have recurring meals, maybe two weeks worth of meals. It's the same thing. It's healthy, and it makes shopping easy. It makes cooking easy, and it takes so much of the mental load off of eating and meal prep, and I'm going to own that, and it's going to be great. You're going to own that? Oh, yeah. I'm going to own it. You're going to own meal prep and planning I for fe- this year? Well, I feel like I, yes. And owning it doesn't mean that I have to do it all myself. No. But I but have to own the system and the outcomes. And I feel like I've done a pretty good job this past year of shopping, making the meal plan, taking the kids, getting the kids cooking. I feel like I've done a lot this year. Do you feel well, like Well, I'm it? not saying accusatorily. What I'm saying, I mean, I would say that you've been like, hey, I'm going to try this out because it's, I usually own it and I've just had a lot going on. So you've kind of, you know, I, you've also, I wouldn't say, cause I don't like to say you've helped me because it's not my job. No, but I, I feel like I've mentally taken ownership of eating and getting us fed. Um, not to say that you haven't, but you've had a lot of things to focus what on. What I would and say that's is that I don't feel like it's, it's been my, my sole priority. Like it has been for many decades, not many decades, two decades. So I think it's awesome if, like, I would love to just be told what my responsibilities are for that. Great. Like, love that. So, yeah, okay. love it. Uh, I'm going to assign duties to everybody. Help me shop. Help me cook. Yeah, we got to get the teenagers making their own meals. They're excited. And, and I think that if we just had just a couple of, like, two-week rotation, assign each of them one of those or two of those. And let them become masters at it so that they're great at making such and such. Yeah, like the stir fry alone. Like, I think our son is, oh, our son is super good at this kind of stuff. But yeah, I love that. Okay. All right. Mental health is my second area. These are more habits than they are like actual actions. Um, My two goals for mental health I want to be present and I want to relinquish control. As I've gone through therapy these past few months, it's been it's become evident of a theme of, I think that I don't feel like I'm a controlling person in general, but I think that there are some areas where I I do inadvertently try to control either as a parent or at work or just trying to control my environment for, you know, to avoid bad outcomes and get good outcomes. And I think that that's been a a source of a lot of my anxiety in these past few months. And so Mm -hmm. I'm trying to identify areas where I am inadvertently, maybe trying to be more controlling and try to let that go. Well, can you give me an example? I think because I don't see that so much on my side. Like, I would not call you, like, a control freak in any way. No, I don't think so. But I do think in my mind, like, when I feel frustration um, sometimes with people or circumstances, uh, I, I'm starting to chase some of that down, that it has its roots in a desire to control. 
like okay. um like uh, like, like in an unhealthy way yeah like well because, like i mean everyone wants to have some control yeah like an example would be our oldest daughter would probably see this differently but you know i'm a father and she's in her senior year she's going through school and she's getting ready to go to college and i feel like this this compulsion to push and to schedule things out and to do these things and to kind of help her get there or to make sure that she gets there. And it's been really stressful for me. So towards the middle of the year, I just kind of, or the middle of this last semester, I just decided to let go of that because I, th I think that things happen better on their own, even if I'm not involved. She's taken on that, uh, she's taken ownership of that on her own. She started researching colleges. She started making her own plans, scheduling her own meetings, researching uh, financial aid. She's doing that on her own without me even having to worry about it. Uh, so it's just kind of taught me maybe I don't need to be as in involved. All right. So, but you said you had a better, you had an example that portrays better example better? is at work, right? Like we have this this uh, our our weekly leadership meeting uh, for all the members of the leadership team, and we talk about the most important issues. We were driving down to Salt Lake for some surgery, and I had to call in. They couldn't hear me very very well, so it was a great excuse to just listen as a fly on the wall and not necessarily participate. I could hear everything that was happening, but they had a hard time hearing me. So I just thought, you know what, Shane? This is your opportunity to not take it so seriously. Just listen. Let the team manage everything, manage the conversation, talk about the issues, make the court, uh, you know, make the plans, and see how things go. There were a couple of times where I just thought I felt this compulsion to get involved and to make a comment or to say something, but because of the technology difficulties, I just didn't. And I just kind of trained myself not to. And despite that discomfort, they worked out the issues great without my help at all. With It was almost like I didn't even need to be there. And it made me think, I wonder how often we overestimate our value this idea that if I don't get involved, that it's that no one else is going to do it, or it's not going to get 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 done right. So I just want to be able to let go and say, you know what, you're not indispensable. Things will work themselves out without you, Shane. Well, I think the way you said it, things won't get done right. I think a lot of that relinquishing control is to understand that sometimes people will do it differently than you, totally. and that's okay. Absolutely, and I think that I need to practice that a little bit more in my head that my way or the way that I envision it getting it done isn't the best way. Or it's not the only way to skin that cat. No yeah. offense, cat, that's sitting on my lap right now. <laughs> um, it's just it's just a phrase. We don't really skin cats. She's looking at me like I know. she's really worried. <laughs> I'm not going to skin you, cat. People don't skin them. Anyway, yeah, like the thought that it, your way might even be the best way, but that doesn't mean it's it, it has to be that way. No. There's other ways to do things, and it doesn't always have to be the most efficient. Like, I mean, I relinquished that control a long time ago because I realized, like, as a as a woman who you know stays home, and you know, I was the primary breadwinner forever, and that's got to be hard to let go of that control. Oh well, that was different. I think I was meaning more being like in charge of the household. I very early realized that. Um, it was going to cause me a lot of stress if I had to dictate the the way things were done when it wasn't in my control. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, if you cleaned the kitchen differently than me, it, it didn't matter. Yeah. Like, no, relinquishing financial control, uh, that was that's a totally different thing. That was horrible. Like, I'm grateful for the time that you were the breadwinner, but that was very... That was, that's a whole other podcast. That was very mentally challenging to be that vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, yeah. yeah, but, uh, that was a totally different, anyway, that's a different kind of control. Okay. So I like that. So, so you're going to relinquish control. So some things that I'm going to do to, to be present and to relinquish control, I'm going to be diligent at my meditation practice. Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue with, uh, personal therapy. Uh, I've got a couple of books that I'm reading right now. Do you want to mention any of them? Um, one is the experience of insight by Joseph Goldstein. It's a, it's a, it's a beginner's guide to Buddhist meditation. So just learning a little bit about that. It's less about Buddhism. I guess there's a decent amount of Buddhism, but it's it's great meditation guidance. Um, I've got a couple of other books I'm going to read. The big thing that I wanted to do is uh, start journaling. Since I've started going to therapy, I've started writing down a lot of my thoughts and questions in preparation for therapy. And it has been 
it's made the experience a lot more valuable. I'm going to limit my social media and limit my television consumption. I would cope through this last year by turning on a show and just watch stuff. Even late at night when I should be sleeping, I'd like want to watch these shows. And I wasn't even that excited about them. I can't think of like one that, that I watched this last year that was mind-blowing. What about Rick and Morty? That's always mind-blowing. I always love that. <laughs> Other than Rick and Morty. But that's done. That's 10 episodes, and it's done. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe that should be my treat in the fall. Yeah. But I practiced it this last week as far as social media and TV. I didn't watch any TV this last week, and I didn't fire up any of my social media until you and I were uh, up at a cabin this weekend, and you told me to check something out, and I just looked at that one specific thing, and that was it. It's been interesting. Going into a tumultuous year, especially with politics and the election, talk about an exercise in relinquishing control. I thought about just disconnecting for the year. I'll do my research, and I'll vote. But other than, than that, what would happen? This is the fun thought experiment that I like. What would happen if I didn't watch the news at all? Well, we've had this discussion a lot because, you know, I had brought this up too as a possibility. It's difficult for me because I live on social media. I mean, I work there. I don't actually like being there very much. But, yeah, there's the uh, the social implications like of what's our responsibility? Because we've talked about this. What is our responsibility for consumption because we want to be involved and yet the news system in America is just regurgitating just garbage so that they we feast as much as possible but that doesn't mean we have to consume it oh yeah it's more and more clear the older i get that news channels are not trying to inform us their interests are not at all aligned with ours they want to keep us agitated they want to keep us in fear they want to keep us coming back and they want to do that through salacious stories or negativity and i'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I want to know things that are happening. I mean, there's some crazy stuff happening in Idaho and I want to know about it because it, it, it is in my sphere of influence and it affects me. But on a national level, um, especially there's nothing we can do other than vote. And right now we've talked about it. It's probably going to be another year of like, well, we have two horrendous people who are running and we, they're going to try to just tell us which guy is worse? And like, it's, and it's very unpleasant. So I'm like, I don't really want to be part of that boys club fight club situation. I want to vote. I hope that I don't want to vomit when I go do it. But I don't need to be consuming this whole year. That's not going to, most likely, I mean, that's not going to change my vote. My vote's going to be pretty basic of like, what does this person represent? If I let that get into my head, then I'm going to lose sight of the fact that I don't have a lot of control over any of these big national issues or big national topics. And in fact, it's probably going to lead to me being a lot more divisive and kind of being more of a jerk to people around me. If I get too strong in my opinions or get too worked up, people are going to want to not talk to me. And so I think, well, what can I control in my local realm? I like what you said about if I were to consume news, I think I'd just keep it local understand what's going on in the place where I can have an impact and even then try not to be a jerk about it. Yeah. I had thought about having like a, what's it called when you, when you go into like uh, sobriety and you have a, someone who's supposed to help you. Oh, a sponsor. A sponsor. Yeah. I thought maybe I should have like a, a new sponsor, like basically someone who I'm like, listen, I, I need to get away from this toxic, gross situation in America right now with news I need a sponsor so that I'm not completely unaware. So could you alert me when something happens that's so important that I need to know it instead of sifting through the garbage? Because they're already going to be there. You know, the sponsor's yeah. choosing that they're going to. Yeah, I'm not. you're not asking them to do more work to keep no, you. No, they're in already doing it. And I, I mean, I do follow a couple people locally who are pretty good at that. And um, I don't really have anyone nationally. But um, I, was, I was having um, a medical procedure done last week and the person performing it was from Australia and she was telling me how she lives here now and she's like I your news is crazy in America I'm like why why is it different 
She's like, it is like a permanent reality TV, TV show. She's like, she said in, in Australia, if some, they, they talk about huge things, like monumental things, but everything else is positive. The positive things that are happening in your environment. And that's what the news is. What's going on in your community? It's an information of what's going on in your community. I want that to be true. Yeah. And then, and she, but she said, you know what we do watch though, is all the bad stuff happening in America because it is like our personal reality TV show and it doesn't affect us. So it doesn't affect us negatively. Yeah. So she knew so much more about like what was going on in politics than like her, they shared a long distance relationship than her partner because they were getting it all in Australia. Mm. Anyway, I was just thinking like on, I have a social media page and I, I like to talk about community and every once in a while I'll bring up something but it's, it's every once in a while. It's the having to be in the negative constantly because it brings us into fear and fear makes us worried that we're going to miss something. And so we keep consuming. And it's like we are feasting on this beverage of mental distress. I don't know where that just came from, but mm. that's what it feels like. Okay. It's like we're sucking at the teat of all of our anxiety. Mm. And I need to I need to wean myself away from that. All right. How's that for metaphor? Man, I love the teat analogy. <laughs> well, moving on, uh, perfect segue into the next area, relationships. Oh, okay. <laughs> why is that a perfect? Okay. All right, relationships. All right. One thing that I want to do is be more aware and controlling of my facial expressions. Okay. I am a very emotive person, mm -hmm. and a couple of people made some comments. One at work. And then I think that you've said it before, too. Maybe not verbally, but I know that... With my facial expressions? No, that you're reading my facial expressions or that that you you imply my displeasure or my frustration sometimes based on how my face looks. And I want to have more of a poker face because although I like who I am, I like my expressions, I also have to recognize that they have an impact on people around me and I might get better outcomes and better results with other people if I can have more of a po of a poker face or at least be more strategic and surgical when I do use facial expressions. Yeah, I like that. I'll say that I made that goal a few years ago. And I'll say that I think I, I started doing it when I was kind of that year that I was going into stoicism and like kind of seeing what that was all about because my dad was a stoic and I was interested. I don't, I don't love stoicism as a general rule, but there were some things that I found interesting but when I gained, I had pretty good control, don't you think, of my facial features, of my facial features. <laughs> Your facial <laughs> of, of expressions. expressions, yeah. But what I found was when I was in control of my facial expressions for the purpose of making sure the person I was talking to felt safe, because sometimes I'd be talking to someone and they were like crazy to me. I needed time to process what they were saying so I could like hear it and say, is it that crazy? Maybe I'm not seeing it the right way. But what I found was as I learned to control those, I actually really pushed those immediate responses back. I didn't feel them so strongly and I had time to really think about them. And I wasn't so confused and murky with my emotions. And I was able to be much more re like steady, I guess, in my listening. And I was able to hear strangely better because those emotions were not clouding me. No, the, the, this makes perfect sense to me, and and it folds into my into my meditation practice and being present and relinquishing control. In that, if you can just hear it without reacting to it or break that cycle of immediate reacting, it's like seeing a baby that tastes something that they don't like. Immediately, you know that they don't like that. But if I can have more of a pause and not judge in the moment either not you know, pull something towards me because I want more of it or push it away because I don't like it, but just feel it in that moment, then like you said, I think that there's more of an opportunity to listen and to hear what's actually happening. Did you get that metaphor about a baby tasting something from someone out, like somewhere or did that just come to you? No, it just came to me. It's just, that's interesting. I wonder if sometimes, haven't you met people before who it's like they're incapable of anything other than an immediate reaction. I feel like I'm like that sometimes. I think that most people are like that no. in some ways. I wouldn't, I think maybe you're judging yourself harsher than maybe most would. Huh. Um, Cause I don't think you're like, you can, you, you can respond 
quickly, but um, you know that there's some people who they have opinions on things and it really, once that opinion or that feeling is set, it never changes. And so they immediately respond with that thing. That's why I don't like certain trigger words, especially like in politics and religion, because those words will trigger in some people dislike or like, acceptance or non-acceptance. And when you remove those words, it makes you, it forces you to pause, to hear things outside of those trigger words. Yes, I think that it's true that when people are triggered, then they have aversion towards something and they're immediately pushing pushing against it, whatever it is that they hear or whatever it is that they're experiencing. And I think that that limits them from being able to hear what's on the other side of that. I mean, that just becomes this, I don't know, this emotional, what am I trying to say? It, 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 it colors their lens and they can't see it. They can't see it differently. I want to be the type of person that can hear something that's hard or something that makes me uncomfortable or something that really challenges me or maybe even threatens to really anger me and just feel it without reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Because in the moment that I react, then the other person has to react or is more likely to react. And things. I think that that's when things get volatile and, and dialogue breaks down. I think that I'm trying to not even feel it. What I'm trying to do is hear things without the emotion immediately being part of it. Yeah. Because then I'm able to take, because that's a very selfish way to hear, you know? When you're hearing it where there's emotion tied in, usually it means it's because it's about you. And if I can hear someone speak, and we've talked about that in our relationship too, if you can hear someone speak without it being about you and about it being colored by you know your perception of the world, that's when you hear things. That's why people love therapists, because therapists aren't listening through their lens. Yeah. So therapist I, has no baggage. They can just hear anything that you tell them and they don't react. And you're able to tell them more and more because they, they just hear it without judgment. But they are judging, but they're just they're they're able to separate themselves. Yeah. Um, I think that's why it's hard sometimes in the with the people you love the most to be the safe person for them because yeah. of so much baggage that comes with it. For my facial expressions, I want to get accountability partners, um, somebody at work, somebody at home, and one of my friends, and ask them for regular feedback. Give them permission to give me feedback of when I'm um, negatively emotive. Uh, who's your person at home? Um, well, I figured that I'd conscript you or Lydia. <laughs> oh, okay. One of the two. I just wonder if I'm the right person to do that because... I actually thought about that, and I thought, no, you might be too close. But I think that telling you <clears throat> the goal, like verbalizing the goal, you're aware that I'm trying to do it, yeah, um, that's kind of implicit permission to tell me when I am. But yeah. I think that Lydia would be a great one, too. I think because just the thought of saying, let's say we're in like a really heated argument, and I'm like, oh, just so you know, you're emoting. <laughs> I can see that yeah, maybe like I don't not being Yeah, I don't want to use that as a weapon. Why wouldn't? I would yeah. never. Um, this is an area where I have three. Um in relationships. My second one is, um, it's more goal oriented. I'm going to book our anniversary trip for 2025. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's on my list to, are we going to figure so out the, or for our 20, that will be our 24th our, in 2025. Well, yes. So yes. in 2025 is when we're going to go on our big trip. Yes. And you're going to make that happen. And I'm going to make that, that happen. like you're going to plan everything. That's what I said. I, I think that's fantastic. Choosing the destination. Why do you think that's a, an important goal? Why does that seem, why does that fit into relationships? Like for our relationship, why is that something that you would consider under relationships? Because that just sounds like a to-do, but the way you're talking about it, it sounds like it might fit a different purpose. Like, is it representative of something that you're wanting to do? Or is it just like, well, we got to go, so I might as well be the person to do it. No, I think that it's, well, I guess the way that I see it is I value us and I don't, I appreciate our relationship. I want to take ownership of it. It's not necessarily up to you to do this, and I want to show that I am. I can show that I feel that it's important by being the person that takes ownership of it and making that that happen. And I want you to be able to relax and enjoy it. And that's almost like like my contribution. That if I plan it and I take the burden of all the stuff that has to do with planning a big trip, I want to let you enjoy it and to be able to just show up and have fun. So, so it's like a gift to, to me. 
Just your, I guess it's I your... I want you to have the best experience possible. That sounds I guess like if... a gift to me, but it's like an investment in our relationship that's very tangible. Sure, sure. Maybe I don't know. I'm, it might be I'm not analyzed. on semantics, but yeah, I want you to have the best time possible. Well, thank you. And I'm so I will take control of that, and I'm going to get us to our destination. Cool. Yeah. The third one is I want to start couples therapy. Yeah, you've said this before. And so in January and February, I will identify a therapist, and then um, I'd like to try it one session per month for the rest of the year, just to try it. All right. Maybe we'll work out great, maybe a train wreck, but let's <laughs> at least try it. But I love the idea, like we have several friends that have that have recently been married <clears throat> that were doing couples therapy, I think that one said six months before well, they, they got, got married. Katie Williams from Traveling Spud on our podcast That's was right. talk, talking about that they did preemptive Preemptive therapy. Yeah, and we have another couple friend that was doing uh, therapy before they got married. I love that idea that to do to have therapy bef- long before there are issues, just for maintenance, um, to be able to create healthy dialogue tools and a space to talk about things. I I'm fascinated by that, so I want okay. to invest. Can in I dig into that a little sure. bit? So you presented it as in just preemptive, but let's be honest. You, there's reasons that you want to go. I think you have specific things you'd like to discuss. Is there anything that you would see as being successful if we were, we had better control of through therapy? Can you say that a different way? What's your goal? What does success look like for you specifically um, in resolving anything is something in our relationship what specifically because the reason I say this is you have brought up wanting to go to couples therapy over the years always in a specific time which is when we're fighting which would indicate there's a reason there's something that triggers in your mind this we need help with this thing sure and the reason I've been like sure let's do it is because it's felt like for me you were handing me a chore but since you kept bringing it up, I was like, I'm happy to go. But if if it's important to you, then you'll make it happen. Because as a woman, I started identifying that this hap- this happens to women a lot, is that they're given, they're handed chores to yeah. take care of. And I was like, I'm not going to take this on. You know, you're presenting it. You want to go to couples therapy. Yeah. What is the thing that we would not be doing anymore in fighting? Or what would we not, what would not be happening anymore? I think that we have recurring topics. There are topics that continue to come up and that they continue to result in hurt feelings or misunderstanding and tension, which leads me to believe that because we're not getting different results, we keep getting the same result and we're not making progress, we could benefit from some help in getting over those. So success would be maybe resolving some of these recurring issues that keep popping up as topics of some of our most heated discussions okay, or to talk about them better or to talk about them in a way that don't result in such heat. Are there any you want to mention specifically? No. <laughs> okay. Cause honestly, even as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I don't really know because I think they mean something different to you. And oh, I think, very possibly. I think that's why you want to go to couples therapy because there's literally nothing in my mind that I'm like, Oh yeah, we need help with this because I think for me, it's more like we are, We've been married so long and our and our conversations are good. Like we are able we communicate relatively well. And so I feel like we've kind of gone to the point where now we have some just core differences. To like to our core, everyone's different in some ways and we've gotten down to like past so much and now we're at core differences and it's like I think we're just different and we try to hear each other. But there's a couple, you know, or whatever, there's things that we're like, we're not going to agree on this. And so I wonder if you're hoping that I will change my mind. I can't, And as I'm saying this, I can't even think what those things are at the moment. Like, are you hoping that one of us will change our mind so that we are now aligned on things? No. I, uh, more than changing your position or changing your mind, changing your position, I think more changing how we look at each other or changing how we look at the situation. I know that this is very abstract without having something specific, but I don't really feel comfortable in talking about the specifics right now. But I guess I would just say it a different way to say we've been married for almost 22, uh, almost 23 years. That's a long time. And I see a lot of our patterns and 
yes, we are incredibly compatible in a lot of ways. And I also see that there are some things that if we don't, if we don't find some healthier tools now to make some small adjustments, they have the potential to become bigger issues in the future, extrapolated over the next 10, 15, the next 20 years. And I'd like to deal with those now as opposed to doing serious work later on. And so when we go to therapy, are you going to be like, <clears throat> okay, this is because like, I'm just going in because you like, do I, to my core think we need therapy? Not really. But if you want to go, I'm super happy to invest and I will be there fully present. Um, I think just because I've been around enough couples and seen how they speak. And I'm like, I feel like we seem like graduates on a lot of things. So I'm wondering, are we going to go into therapy and then all of a sudden you're going to be like, this is what I want to discuss because this is what, or, or are you just going to kind of meander and see what happens and see what, because though we did do a cut, we've gone to therapy kind of different. We, we went, I thought it was funny. We went to like an Enneagram therapy just for fun mm -hmm. because you, um, Shane's an Enneagram one. I'm an Enneagram three. So we did um, like a therapy with Gina Gomez, who's local and she's a, she's a Enneagram specialist at the very end, we started having like a little bit of, a little bit of tension, like we were actually talking about something. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, I was uh, starting to think you guys were like too perfect as a couple. <laughs> like, and we're not. But the thing is, is we have so many communication tools that I think on paper, we would appear to be quite capable of handling anything on our own. So I'm like, are we going to go for sessions on sessions until we finally meander into a place where it's like, oh, here we are? Or are you just going to like present it and be like, hey, you know, Mrs. Therapist, well, here's what we, here, this is what I want to discuss. Both. Okay. Both. I suspect that we have not been perfect at developing the tools that are most useful, that, that we haven't naturally discovered on our own all of the tools that are the most useful or helpful in a relationship. Really? Yeah. I think that we've discovered <laughs> what we, we know. You laugh, and no, yet, I mean, that and yet you're, like, you're skeptical no, about therapy. No, that just therapy. sounds like, I'm not skeptical about That's therapy. What, it's just more like, do we have to be perfect? No, we don't have to be perfect, but if there were... I'm not saying I don't want to go. I'm just interested Here's in what you're, how you're seeing it. Okay, uh, and that's absolutely fair. My parents didn't teach me about finances. They taught me about budgeting. They taught me about living within my means, but that was it. They didn't teach me about investment. They didn't teach me about um, retirement. They didn't teach me about any of those things. I know to my core that there are so many things that I just haven't learned that are out there and probably common knowledge to a lot of people that have given them so much freedom that I simply haven't known because they weren't in my path. I didn't come across them. And I suspect that the same, I know that the same is true for my personal development. I absolutely know that there are some basic things out there that I just haven't learned. <laughs> and in some ways, I'm a total derp. And therapy can help me to discover what those thing, things are and make them better. And I am absolutely sure that in a relationship, there's some things that we just haven't known. We just, we don't know what we, we, we don't know. What if a therapist said, hey, there's some, hey, here's a basic tool that you might find helpful. And we have some conversation and it ends up being incredibly helpful. I just, I want to be open to that. Yeah, I think that's great. I think some of my hesitance is just that um, because like in our relationship, it's, we, we're pretty good. And for me, I see it's like, yeah, we, you know, we have a few wounds that we could probably help, but I see the gnashing knife blade of religious trauma that I still need to go through. And would you like a little help with that? Well, yeah, but that's what I'm like, how much time do we have for therapy? Because that's like, is some of the stuff that we're dealing with in our marriage, because I'm still dealing with so much trauma from one religion and two medical trauma that I seriously need to like, manage. So I'm, I see myself of like, I am bleeding, you know, with meant, and we haven't even gone into myself, but like my own mental stuff. So then I think how much of, of some of our struggles in our relationship is because I am open wounds right now. 
you know? And so it's like, and that's why I love that you're going to therapy, but it's like, so I know I need to, it's just the even thought of like, of addressing how, how, you know, bad all that was is, is scary. So I just haven't done it yet, but, and so it's like, okay, yeah, we could do couples therapy, but then I'm like, do I want my stuff to come up with like dealing with like a, you know, a religious stuff or whatever? Do I have that in enough control that that doesn't bleed in to like the religious or the, you know, the conversation with as a couple? So I think that it's good to try it. I don't want to like bogart the stuff because it's like, I seriously think if I went into therapy, even as a couple, I'd want to focus on you and I, but it's like, Let's talk about what actually is, is and, hurts. And that might be, that might open the door to, to say, okay, Natalie, you've got some things to, to work on in your own life. Hey, let's, let's find a personal therapist for you. And then let's also do some couples therapy where you can be working on you. I can be working on me and then we can come together and work. Yeah. It just to, sounds like a lot of therapy. I think that's, it's, it's almost overwhelming because it's like, yes, of course I always want to work on a relationship, but like I'm still dealing with knife wounds and, sure. well, and so, you know, I, and so I, there's just, I think I feel very, still very weakened in, in so many of those things. It's like, okay, can I get, because it's not like I'm ignoring our relationship. Like we invest heavily in our relationship. I, I mean, we don't let that go just because we're going through stuff. It's just, very true. am I, am I emotionally capable of having those kind of conversations about our relationships when I'm thinking, yeah, this is important, and I'm just trying to, like, hold on, you know, in survival mode, where I don't think you're as much in survival mode in some ways, so I think that's why you can see this as being like, yeah, this is the next step, and I'm like, this feels like 10 steps ahead, but it's not that I don't want to, again, it's just, I have to, it might be kind of like the trip to Europe, I might just need you to, that's fine, to plan it, and then I go, I'm gonna, and that's exactly what my goal is, is find the therapist, set it up, and we go once a month. I offer two, two, two things, uh, not to belabor the point, but I've been going to therapy. It hasn't resulted in feeling more overwhelmed. It has resulted in feeling lighter and freer, and I haven't felt like I've had to do more work. Like I do the work in the session, and I do a lot of thinking outside of the session, but I'm doing a lot of thinking anyway. So I'm just spending my thinking time thinking about these things and I feel like it's resulted in some good things. Personal therapy well, doesn't overwhelm me. It's the couples therapy because I feel like I kind of want to make sure I'm investing it enough so that you know I'm taking it seriously. Yeah. And and so it's like, it, I think it's just feeling like I can be as present and dedicated as much as you deserve. Thank you. The second point that I wanted to make is I feel a natural hesitance in waiting for the right time. I don't think that there's the right time for anything. There's never the right time. I think that now is the right time. And let's just try it out. Yeah, you've said that a lot, that you're tired of waiting for people to tell you when you can be happy or when you... I think we're both aligned that we we don't want to wait for anyone else's um, timeline. Yeah, that was one of my major issues with... that, That is one of my major issues with religion is putting the your faith and hope in the next life to be happy that, uh, yeah, deal and endure to the end with whatever you have to deal with in this life. And next in the next life, it's all going to be made right. I don't like the idea of having to wait to be happy. All right. I'll zip through, through these next couple in my professional. I'm going to establish a men's group. I'm going to begin a men's support group and hold sessions by July. I've toyed around with this idea with my closest friends for years about the feeling of my personal mission is to help men as they're navigating the changes that they naturally go through in middle age to do so in a healthy way and avert personal disaster and to lean on each other as men to support each other to have a healthy masculinity. I am committed to doing that. I haven't made the overt steps that I want to, the direct steps to make something like this happen, and I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to keep it simple and see where things go. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the the possibility of this. What does averting disaster mean? The, I mean, the most cliche way to call it is the midlife crisis. I'm just wondering if you use that because I do. I have noticed that you you don't like that term. What midlife crisis? 
I've noticed that like because your facial features would just like right now show it. Like no, even, they don't. No, even I'm keeping poker face right now. I know what well, you said. Hey, you said we're just saying when you say midlife crisis, you ha- you get a look, and that's why I've just always assumed you don't like that term. Because I think that midlife crisis is such a cliche term. It gives people permission to write it off as, oh, it's the midlife life. Kind of like we were crisis. talking about before. It's just like you just respond to it in disregard. Yeah. He's having well, a, and we all have definitions of those things. And, and it's like, oh, you mean sports car and girlfriend? Yeah. Like, oh, he's having a midlife crisis. Uh, that explains it. No. What's more likely, I mean, it might be he's having an existential crisis with his spirituality, and he doesn't know how to handle that, and he's having to rewrite and, uh, you know, his, the way that he sees the world and his place in it. Or, um, oh, he's he's realizing that this script that he's followed from society to be the breadwinner in his family and to be these certain ways hasn't resulted in personal fulfillment and satisfaction. And so he's he's acting out in, in trying to find purpose and meaning, but he's doing it in unhealthy ways or, oh, he doesn't feel like a midlife crisis is way it's a midlife crisis to me is the equivalent of what you've told me. Like a lot of men when they say, when they get divorced and the, the ridiculous response uh, uh, as to why, oh, she went crazy. They, they just say she went crazy. How insulting is that to just label it? She went crazy. There's always a deeper explanation to it, and I think that that merits discussion and a safe place to have those discussions. And then the midlife crisis is another one of those. Well, I like your your term, avoiding disaster. I think that there is a better word because as we've hit middle age, there is a time when you start to question. You either double down, society has society is giving me what I want. I'm going to stick to that T. Or why am I doing this? Why am I with this person? Why am I with this job? Why am I part of this organization? You're going to come to that position. It, there's something about this time of life. And it is true because women navigate it communally much better, I think, yeah. than men do. Men don't have the same... A lot of them just don't have emotional tools to be able to lean on each other for experience. Men can be each other's best allies and best resources. But the way that, I don't know, life in general for the history of humanity has been shaped is that we are so competitive and that does not lend to supportiveness. I'm kind of rambling, but it doesn't, men just don't rely on each other and open up to each other often because we don't see each other as safe. But if you can create safety and earn that that trust and help each other out, I think that we can we can be better as a gender and better individually. And I'm gonna, and I want to help with that. You think that people men don't do that because they don't feel safe? Because I mean, I think that you are like that, but I, I think often when I'm because I'm I have a lot of male friends. I feel like they don't even know that's an option. They don't have they don't even go there. Like emotionally, they're I don't even even if they found a safe person, I don't know if necessarily they would want to get all emotional or. I'm not saying that I want to create a cry fest. I don't that think that would be weird. You don't cry. So the simplest way to say it is I have had probably three amazing best friends that have been so critical at this transitional time of my life, midlife, to help me navigate things that could have absolutely imploded my life if I didn't have them to help me work through these things. And because I trusted them so much, I was able to talk about things with them that I haven't been able to talk about with anybody else. And being open like that and being willing to be vulnerable with people that are safe and generous and focused on self-improvement, it's helped me to be a better person. And I want other people to have that. And a lot of guys, they have no idea where to find that or how to cultivate those relationships where they can get all those great outcomes. And I think that my group can help with that too. I'm friends with some amazing men. Um, when you say that it helped you, I, did you say your personal implosion? What would have, what do you think would have happened had you not had, what, what would have been the negatives had you not had these friends? I don't know. I mean, who's to say what could have been? But I mean, if you think about the things that you were, w- was risky. I think could it see just... our marriage. I could see my relationship with my kids. I could see um, my relationship at work with a job. 
I could see um, just my own mental health of being angry all the time or being confused. Yeah, there were there are always so many ways and so many areas in your life that could go awry or go better if you have the right resources or they could go terrible if you don't have any resources. I'm excited about that. Does that sound surprising to you that if I say I can absolutely see how having my friends has helped me to be a better man and a better father? No, just the way that you phrased it, it sounded like you had some thoughts on maybe specifics instead of being a little more just life in general. I'm not always thinking about me and my personal situation, but I'm looking out there in the world and just one degree of separation away from me. Man, there are people whose lives are imploding left and right. Like it's a freaking war zone out there. Mm -hmm. Divorce is so rampant and so common statistically. And honestly, after... I mean this in the best way. After being married for 22 years, I get it. Marriage is hard. Mm-hmm. And it divorce takes is, so much work. Divorce is great. Just, just we're saying. Like, I'm not di- saying that divorce, divorce is bad. Sometimes it is the best the thing. The most amazing yes. blessing. But, we've seen that a lot. But I think that it can be averted and people can have wonderful relationships if they have the right tools. Therapy okay. is one of those, right? We just talked about therapy. But also having a great support network that helps you to be a better person. I think that that's another tool also. Mm. Anyway, I want that. I'm glad. I that's, think that's, that's, uh, that's I think what that's, I want to do uh, very aligned with you. And you want to do, sorry, you want to do it professionally? Like, do you want to do no, no, it? No, no, I just want to start holding But what I'm the, meaning, the it has nothing to do with your current job. This is separate. Separate. Okay. Separate. Yep. That's personal mission. In the realms of being a father, I want to have regular bi-monthly outings with each child. Last year, it got over... Bi-monthly? Every other month. Okay. Last year, it was too overwhelming when I had in my mind the goal to take all three kids out on a daddy-daughter date or a father-son night once a month. It was just too too much. It ends up being a lot. You can't do that. Well, it's every week. But I think that I can do it every other month. Because especially because you have... We also date. That's a habit that will result in a much stronger relationship with me and, and each of them. And they're and they're, all three of them are in such critical junctures of their life. Our oldest is getting ready to graduate high school and go to college and you know become an adult. Our middle is getting ready to go into high school. That's influential. And our youngest is getting ready to go into middle school. So they're all at these junctures that I think that this habit, this will be good for everybody. Personally, I want to finally get my sleeve tattoo. I'm going to get my yeah. first sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been talking about it for a couple of years, and I haven't done it, and I'm <clears> going to do it. And then I want to create, this sounds morbid, but I want to create a death preparation plan by the end of the year. Sorry, what? A death preparation plan. <laughs> I think about death a lot, and it's been a <laughs> source of fear. When you start to feel your own mortality, you start worrying about stuff like that. Every ache and pain, you think, oh, shoot, is this when I find out that I have cancer and I got mm-hmm. you know two months to live? I don't like that feeling of anxiety, and I don't like the feeling of leaving my loved ones unprepared and chaos. And so, uh, I think just because we're seeing that on some other things of when when someone we're not being provided the information we need. Yeah, yeah, we have some area, um, people in our life that are, don't approach it that same way. But I want to get more comfortable in talking about death. I think that death in Western society, we just don't talk about it. It's something that we don't look at. We try not to acknowledge that it's the reality and it's the inevitable fate for every single one of us are going to die. I think that talking about it will make it easier to deal with grief and to prepare it and su- prepare for it in such a way that it's not such a debilitating. Um, I mean, it'll always be painful, but I want when I go, I want you to be taken care of. I want the kids to be taken care of and. I just want that to go in a way that's smooth and doesn't cause a lot of family heartache. Can I ask, dig into that just a little bit? Does that feel like you're trying to control death a little bit? Um, no. Well, I can see how it could be perceived like that, but I think that that's just good planning. The contrary would be, I'm just going to live my life and go and let it happen. But I think I would rather have a will in place. I think I'd rather define my DNR. And so that you know, uh, we do have that, by the way. <laughs> I mean, just just so people don't think like we have, we do have a will and we do have a DNR. But you know that there's a lot more. Like I, yeah, um, no, there's more. That's what we've discovered. I, I discovered this book that I shared with um, someone in our family, and I'm going to read it. It's a thick book, but it's called A Beginner's Guide to the End. the The subtitle is like a practical 
guide to preparing for the end of life or mm-hmm. something like that. But I listened to these people on a podcast and it was amazing. There's so many things that you have to just realize the practical things. Hey, do you know where all of our finances are? Do you know where to go? Each of the websites, each of the, each of the logins, um, just practical things like that. Just having a file, a place where you know that if I go, you can go and this has got the plan. Here's where everything is. Here's where our life insurance policy is. Here's our health insurance, our on and on. Just very practical things. Um, and then defining what I want my end of life to be like. Like if I find myself in a vegetative state, I don't want to be in a vegetative state. So if I can't breathe on my own, pull that plug. But I need to get that in writing and have it clear so that you're not left wondering, what do I do? My wishes are made known. Yeah. Anyway, back to your question. Is it controlling? I'm not saying is it controlling. I just mean you just said you want to relinquish control. And I wonder if some of this is kind of stemming to your desire for control. No, to the contrary. I feel like this is me accepting it, Mm, accepting the inevitability of my death. I will die. Avoiding that fact would be not preparing for it, not doing anything, acting like I'm going to be immortal and live forever. Mm, I see. I need to confront it and treat it like a reality. My final area was um, financial. One is called cold lunch. (laughs) (laughs) I want to take take my lunch more often. I've treated eating out at lunch as like an excuse and like almost a reprieve from the middle of the workday. This is my time to get out, take a breath, and disconnect. Mm -hmm. And um, but you know what? That adds up. And so, um, and I can still get out other other ways without ne- necessarily eating out all the time. But yeah, you used to go to the park, right? You'd like take your lunch to the park. I usually go and get lunch and then go to oh, the park. Oh, okay. Cold anyway, lunch, okay. Cold lunch, that's my financial goal. That's your one financial goal. We're doing pretty well. If the only thing we need to do is cold lunch, we are doing pr- pr- we are doing pretty well. Um, but I've got one other, but I don't want to share it. Okay, is it buying me something expensive? Oh wait, yeah, this trip. I thought how, I just about 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 an, how about a bunch? How about a bunch of surgeries? Anyway, uh, that's those are my areas of focus and my goals for the year, and I'm kind of articulating them. So, a, you can support me, uh, and give me and be my accountability buddy, uh-huh. and b, so maybe other people hear about it and they get excited uh, about it. I have so much enthusiasm going into this year and hope. Last year was just a dumpster fire, and you know what? <laughs> I'm not thinking about it. I'm moving forward. <laughs> I'm not thinking about why. You did great last year. Yes, but emotionally, it was a hard time for me. Yeah, it was emotionally hard. I felt more anxiety and depression than I've ever felt in my life. And um, not to say that it was based on valid things or not, but I felt it, and I'm not dealing with that again. If you felt it, it was valid. Um, But this year, I'm hopeful. I've got great friends. I've got great family. I've got a wonderful job. I've got awesome purpose and mission. And uh, I've got motivation, and I hope that other people can feel it too. I want people to go into 2024 with optimism instead of thinking, oh my gosh, what else can go wrong? What were you talking to me about before about two locust species (laughs) being birthed this year at the same time and eating the world or something? Two species of cicadas. I don't know. After monster hornets or whatever they were called, murder hornets. There's something every single year that is going to, that pops up. And every time I think, oh my gosh, what else? And there's always something else. That's out of my control. I'm going to find peace by focusing on what is in my control. And the biggest thing is my habits. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. We didn't even have time to talk about yours. What are you thinking about this year? I'm going to drink more water. Sweet. (laughs) I support you in this. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, happy 2000 and what is it? 24. 2024. We're off to an awesome start. It's going to be good. Let's rely it's on, not, you know on each other. It's not going to be good. In a lot of ways, it's going to be total crap because we're in a weird dumpster fire. In this I don't thing. like this attitude. Hey, what I'm saying is we don't have to – we can have a bubble around ourselves of what we can control. We can make our homes a safe place. We can make our evenings a place of rest and respite. We can turn off the screens. We can be surrounded by people who are safe. We can leave people who are not I think in the last four years, we have learned that if we walk out into the world and we open ourselves up to what there is, it leads to anxiety and depression and fear. I have one life to live. I don't need to accept that narrative. What I want is to enjoy 
the cold water that comes out of the tap and I drink it and I want to make food for my family and I want to eat it and I want to take a walk and breathe this very clear air that we have and I want to read books that I like and I want to laugh with my friends. I'm done with the weird cyclone of chaos that we find ourselves in this weird time of life that we happen to be on the planet. I'm not allowing that toxicity to penetrate anymore. I am going to be happy because I get to be here right now. I get to be here with you and I get to have, I have these children, I have friends, I have a cool job that I might just throw in the garbage one day because it's not healthy in some ways. But I'm done letting someone else and someone else's narrative tell me how to live. and Get in the way of you being happy now yeah. or peaceful now. I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be peaceful. Yep. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I really also was going to tell you, I want to go to couples therapy. <laughs> I support this goal. Let's do it. All right. Great awesome. idea. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time. Thanks so much to our sponsors for supporting local dialogue. We encourage you to check them out online. Jesse Taff of Waypoint Real Estate Group is at www.waypointidaho.com. Bryce Gonser of Fulcrum Home Loans is at www.fulcrumhomeloans.com. And Dr. Dustin Portella of Treasure Valley Dermatology can be found at www.dermatologyboise.com and on Instagram at drdustinportella.